guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. Hey everyone, I'm Lauren Stone and you're tuning into CP Junkie Podcast. Tonight we're joined by Dr. Michael Burgess. He is a maxillofacial surgeon in Brisbane who completed his dentistry at Sydney Uni in 2004 and worked with his dad in Newcastle for two years before beginning his pathway into maxillofacial surgery, completing his medicine at Newcastle University and then intern and residency in the Hunter New England region. Now working in Brisbane with the subspecialty interest in TMJ surgery and running private practice as well as working at the Manta Public and Queensland Children's Hospital. Dr. Michael Burgess, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. So before we dive into your dental journey, at the time of this recording, Brisbane has just been hit by a freak storm and severe flooding. Can you share what your experience has been so far and uh, considering one of your offices so close to the Brisbane City River? Yeah, well, it's been a, an interesting week. We actually timed it very well. We, um, we were out of Brisbane for the, for the bulk of the rain. <laughs> we were at a, a friend's wedding down in, uh, in Kiama down south near Sydney. So we were watching it from afar. Um, I had the Arlo cameras out and, uh, and watching the rain and, and it was pretty phenomenal. Even over the, uh, over the cameras, you could hear how heavy the rain was. And, uh, and we've got friends um, locally that, that were sort of um, isolated. No, luckily, no one that we know of that's been, uh, you know, uh, majorly affected by it but um yeah always the advice would be to buy on a hill in brisbane that's for sure <laughs> yeah i wish you guys in brisbane all the best during these tough times so you graduated from UCID in 2004 and worked for your dad dr rowan burgess in newcastle um what was that like it was really good experience you know dad had set up a a, a great practice with a, a group of really good people and um and a a couple of senior dentists, you know, and and uh, and more junior people, and and then me as the the most junior. And uh, I think it was a really good crew, and and having dad there as well as a mentor was amazing. Yeah, you know, I think someone that you could just feel very comfortable going to. Um, and I think um, and that transition from uni to to work was was probably made a bit easier for me because I I had dad there, which was great. And you know, I think um, as soon as I got back to Newcastle. Uh, recovered from my hangover in Sydney and, and from the graduation and then got back to Newcastle and uh, started work as soon as I could and, and sort of threw myself into it and uh, and it was great. It was a really good time. Um, it's really a nerve-wracking experience that everyone goes through when they you know, start practice. You finish dental school and you've got no one looking over your shoulder and that's a really scary time. Uh, but I feel quite lucky that, that I had that, um, had that experience. So... Yeah, you had that support and that guidance. So, what were some of his teachings? A lot of it, to be honest, was um, dealing with patients and, you know, what's the best way to manage difficult situations with patients. And I think, you know, we do a lot of, of, of practical stuff coming through dental school and, and not a lot of it is day-to-day management of, of patients, um, you know, how to charge, how to, uh, you know, deal with 
difficult patients, how to manage that 4.30 p.m. emergency that turns up and, and your staff are, are angry with you for having to stay back and, and all the stuff that comes with managing a practice from that point of view um, uh, is a lot of it. You know, I think um, obviously there was small procedural things that, you know, I would ask him about in terms of dad was very good at doing a lot of oral surgery. Um, so, you know, he was always really good to have there as someone who could get you, bail you out if there was an issue. Um, uh, I've, I've pushed a root into a sinus once and as, as I'm sure many people have, and, and you find yourself in a situation where you, you've sort of got to deal with that. And, and it's, it's how you manage, you know, those situations, the difficult situations are the ones that really, really help. And I think that was something that I, was very lucky to have dad there you know i could just knock on the window and say mate i need a bit of help here <laughs> <laughs> yeah and is that what kind of led you to design to specialize like i think so i i i, I was a great student when i was in dentistry i was preoccupied with playing footy and drinking far too much and I I didn't push myself enough when I was um until school um and you know part of me sort of thought I hadn't really taken advantage of the opportunity that I had and I had a great opportunity at Sydney Uni um when I finished and did first year of, of practice I sat the primaries the, the college primaries and and got through that I still don't know really how I got through it but I got through it and um and that sort of spurred me on to go, well, maybe I could do some more study. And, and at the time, I was very young. I, I graduated when I was uh, 23, I think. So I sort of was in a state of mind where I was sort of not quite ready to settle into, you know, practice for the rest of my life. You know, I think there's an opportunity there to, to say what else is out there, what other opportunities are out there and, and you know, uh, and explore some of those. Yeah. Well, I mean, were you, were you interested in other things as well outside of oral surgery or was it kind of like, you know, your dad was really good at it, that kind of really kicked it in and then you did the primaries. How did that all come about? I really enjoyed uh, our oral surgery terms at uni and, and the times that we did it in the maxillofacial team at Westmead. Um, that was probably the thing that I really did enjoy in dentistry. Um uh, I think there wasn't anything else that necessarily stood out to me as, as something that I really wanted to, to do. Um, but the the pathway to Maxfax seemed pretty daunting. So, you know, and, and not being a great student, I was fairly uh, certain I wouldn't be the, the person that would be able to, you know, be picked out of a group to, to go and do that sort of uh, specialty. Um, but I still sort of turn the wheels over and actually just sort of did things to progress myself and put myself into a situation where I, I potentially could could go down that path um, if I wanted to. And, and that's how it started. Um, so doing the, the yeah. primaries in the college was was the first step in that and, and then looking at, at potential opportunities outside of that. So Yeah. And then you started looking around for a medicine a degree to, to kind of go and it coincidentally you end up at Newcastle University. <laughs> well, it's it's funny how everything works out. So I I I did a a surgical job at uh, Prince of Wales Hospital, which was a a maxillofacial um, job as a dentist. So you were basically a, a junior dentist in the in the unit. Um, we had a great 
great team at, at Prince of Wales Hospital and um, and you worked um, with the consultants there um, as a dentist, but you were doing a lot of oral surgery and it was a, a really special uh, job from that perspective. It, it's hard now to get exposure to jobs like that where you um, you can have get surgical exposure and, 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 and access to that without, you know, going fully fledged into it. So I was very lucky to get that opportunity. Um, and as a part of that, um, that job, um, I applied for, for accreditation uh, on the maxillofacial training program, had started doing some research and, and had started to, to just chip away at, at the possibility of doing uh, MaxFax. Um, and, and interviewed um, and did the process. And then luckily uh, a person that was meant to be doing the, the job at Newcastle in the, in the medical, so there was a lateral entry path at that stage in Newcastle. And the person that was meant to get that job um, didn't do it and, um, and I was the next in line. So um, it, was, it was funny because I, um, until I was offered the job in medical, you know, the, the position in medicine I hadn't you know I was still thinking about what I was going to do you know it sort of popped up as an opportunity and, and I was really lucky that that popped up um you know obviously I accepted it within about 48 seconds um <laughs> but it, it was uh uh something that that fell in my lap and I'll always look back as something you know as to say well that was really a, a a, an opportunity that I I had to take and um and I was really lucky to get that opportunity yeah something has happened for a reason hey absolutely yeah it's uh it's funny how things pan out and and that wasn't the only time you know in, in my pathway that that happened and, and i think everyone has similar times and opportunities you know where they wherever they get to you know that that, that define that for them mm. so i guess you you leave the party life at dental school. You get into work, and now you're back into the studies of things, surrounded by kids that are super keen to go hang out and all of that. But how did you find uh, you know going through the course at that time? Because you're older, uh, more mature at this point, right? Oh, that's arguable. There's plenty <laughs> of people around me that would say that I I'm still immature at 40 years of age. So um, I <laughs> I mean part of my thought process about going back to uni and doing that was that I wasn't, you know, fully ready to be a professional doing a, a full professional job and working in a professional environment. I was still, you know, playing f a bit of footy and, and you know, and loving, enjoying a beer, even though I still do. But, um, uh, uh, you know, I, it, was a, it was a great um, opportunity to, to, I guess, stagger that progress. Although going back to medical school is difficult, you know, you you see your mates. I remember dri driving behind one of my mates um, who was driving along his new BMW and I was in this bent-up Toyota Corolla that I'd had for a number of years. But, uh, uh, you know, but I was more than happy with uh, with being back at medical school. And I think um, I worked as a dentist for Dad on a Saturday and a Sunday. So we used to do after-hours um, sessions on a Saturday and Sunday Um to get through medical school and yeah again that's a you know, huge opportunity that i had from, from having dad you know was that i could be there on a saturday and sunday earn a bit of cash um and the after hours emergency stuff is actually really 
good to have as a max factor. You know, you see your avuls teeth and your your acute um, infections and and things like that 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 are, are really good uh, to have uh, as a as a potential um, you know exposure as you're going into that sort of training. So um, that was I was lucky to have that. Yeah, and around this time, this is the same time that you end up on a TV show called Young Doctors. Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's right. I, I, uh, I've got plenty of mates that still get stuck into me about uh, about being the, the weird awkward dude out the back of the promo shots on Young Doctors. But uh, that was at the end of <laughs> was the start of my start of my medical training. So I did medical school and was doing my internship at John Hunter. And um, at the time, they were filming a, uh, a series called Young Doctors there. So you would uh, turn up to your shift with uh, a film crew and a sound guy and a hospital rep. It wasn't too bad on night shift, actually. It gave you some company. You'd have four or five people following you around while you were doing night shift, wandering the corridors. And uh, and it was a fun experience and and a good crew that we had at the time and uh, and really enjoyed uh, enjoyed that. And um I think we had two episodes on Channel 9 and then we got shafted for Michael Jackson's <laughs> lawyer, um, doctor, getting getting done. So it was a very short-lived uh, TV show with, uh, I don't think I even made it to E-grade celebrity in Newcastle at the time. So <laughs> Now, you got you got called Dr. Burjo, wasn't it? And you're, you're, they typecast you as footy. Yeah. Right, and they were shooting you at the. They got you like with your mates at the pub chanting um, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The local pub loved it. They hadn't seen anything like that in a long time, but uh, uh, it was funny. I think um, you know they they obviously try to typecast people into uh, into certain personalities, and and I was um, I was the footy buffhead. Um, I think at one stage they said to me that they've got more more footage of me with a beer in my hand than, than actually doing any work. So it, was, it wasn't a good thing. Yeah, but yeah. I think it, uh, it, it's, uh, it's nice to have for prosperity. I've got lots of signed DVD sets I can't get rid of if anyone wants them. So. <laughs> yeah, because you guys were, they recorded, like, was it six of you guys together? You guys were in the same household or something like that? Is that how it was working? Yeah, they put us up in a house in in Newcastle, this big old mansion, and um, and we all lived there and went to work and came back again, and and um, yeah, it was it was good fun, you know. I think uh, and we all got on pretty well. This house was amazing. Um, we were all doing different jobs at the time. You know, Rory was doing emergency, um, Kate was doing obs and gynae. I was doing um, general medicine. It was it was. Yeah, and it was, but it was really nice to have that that sort of camaraderie at, at the time and, and go through it. And in retrospect, it was, it was a good, really good time, fun. Mm. And uh, my mates got a few free beers, yeah, yeah. so they're happy with that. So, <laughs> yeah. So at this time, you're you're finishing your time at um, at the Hunter New England in 2013, right? You're moving on at this point to Westmead, is that right? Uh, so 2013, yeah, I went to Westmead. So um, I was really, I was super, again, super lucky with the guys that I had in in, in Sydney that um, looked after me uh, from a, a consultant perspective. Um, we had a really 
good crew in, in Sydney um, that I had known from, you know, from Prince of Wales as well as working in Newcastle. It's amazing. You see as you go along, you build up these relationships with people as you go through and as you go from job to job and and these people pop back up again, you know, and um, and looked after me, you know, and offered me a, an unaccredited job at, at the time at, at Westmead, which means you work as a almost a, a registrar, a max facial registrar, but it just doesn't count towards your time on the program. And, um, and that was a great year. I did some max facts and, and they let me go and do a bit of plastic surgery at one stage, which was a really good experience. Um, you know, I think opening up your breadth of what you've seen um, is so important for when you get to the, to the, the final position where you, you finish your, you know, whatever training you're doing. Um, I think having the opportunity to work in, in those different units and, and go through that um, has given me a, a really nice broad breadth to, to my to my experience, which helps me. You know, helps you on a day to day basis. Yeah. You know, the more stuff you've seen, obviously, the, the the more you can handle. So that was great, and, and I was very, you know, I keep saying it, but I was lucky to have the guys there that, that were happy to help me and, and allow me to do those jobs and, and had a, a great time, um, you know, preparing for trying to get onto the, the MaxFax program, which is, you know, never easy. Yeah. And so what happens at that point? Well, you've, you've got to get a, a portfolio together effectively. You know, you've got to have a, a, a proven record of experience of the jobs you've done. You've got to have done uh, courses. So you have to have done a, an acute trauma course as well as a, uh, ICU courses and you have to have done all your time so you have to have done your internship as well as time as a resident and there's a, a, a thing called a surgery in general year which is a number of rotations you know an ICU term or a, um, a ge- acute general surgical term or a cardiothoracic term which count towards what they call surgery in general which is effectively giving you a really broad level of experience as you as you go into to max practice training because once you go into training you're sort of pigeonholed into into what you do so getting the the most amount of experience as you can before you enter that is, is really important um and then you line up and you interview so you you turn up to when i did i think it was at the uh the hilton in sydney i think and uh you walk into a couple of very intimidating rooms you know there's four or five consultants sitting across the table uh, interviewing you um, and a few lay people and um, and and firing questions at you uh, and I think um, it's a hard thing to prepare for. Uh, I know guys that are, are really good at it and know how to do it really well, um, and, and I'm not one of those. Um, and uh, you know, you get questions. I think I got a question about. Um, do I think the Queen should abdicate from the throne? And you sort of get thrown into this situation where you've got to come up with an answer to that um, in a structured, formal way that shows a really uh, solid thought process. And, and I I think I bombed that big time. You know, I think it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, these, these processes are there for a reason. You know, they are really good ways to pick out people that, that can cope under stress and pressure. Um, and um, and as hard and as as torturous as that process was, it's it's a, a very good process. You know, I think it's something that um, obviously stood the test of time. But um, but it's it's uh, you know something that is is 
and not a strength of mine, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so you're, you're having a tough time at these interviews. So then what happens? Is it that you somehow end up in Perth? Yeah. So, yeah, I missed out on a job in the first round of offers um, from that interview because I just bombed it. Um, and um, I was, again, I'll say it again, I was lucky to have mates um, uh, in WA working at the time who um, who stuck their head out and, and vouched for me and said that, um, that I wasn't such a bad guy. And, um, and someone pulled out of the training program again. So this happened to me to get into medicine and then, and then this happened to me again to get, over, get a job over in Perth and uh, someone pulled out or there was some issue with, with the job and, and I got a second round offer of a position over in, in WA. And, um, and, yeah, it was, again, I was lucky. It, it, it popped up and it was an opportunity that I had to take and, um, and you yeah, know, my lovely wife just said, yep, let's go. So we just packed up and went to WA uh, from Sydney and um, and that was a, 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 you know, big call at the time because I think we had about four weeks' notice to get over there. Um, but it was... Um, Perth was amazing. It was just a, a, such a great experience and... Um, and probably getting out of New South Wales and going to another state again was one of those things that's a breadth of experience, which is is so valuable. You know, I think um, I've spoken to other trainees about going to different states and getting different exposures, and I think it's it's really important because even though we all live in the same country, well would argue whether WA is the same country as Australia at the moment, but um, uh, we do live in the same country. But um, uh, people do things differently. You know, it's it's not that you know things are necessarily done the same in in Brisbane as they are in Melbourne as they are in Perth or, or Sydney. So, getting that that breadth of experience purely just by moving around, even within Australia, is is mm. is important and and was valuable for me. Yeah, so how did you find that? Like, what in particular did you find was changing? Was it the culture? Was it the things that you were doing? The types of, yeah, procedures? What was different? The different um, thought process, the different teachings? Like, So, um, coming from New South Wales, probably the, um, the closer interaction that we had with, with the consultants and the bosses over there, there was a really good group of young consultants who were uh, just enthusiastic and awesome yeah, and the teaching was great you know we had really good teaching we had involvement from the, the consultants um uh, actively um and then i think you know change in environment was just great um you know uh, i guess the excitement of being in a different city and living in a different city and and um and how that worked and and i think um uh the trauma in WA is like you'll see nowhere else. WA is the only place where I've had people, you know, die in emergency departments in front of me. You know, it's sort of the trauma is, is next level from that point of view. It's got such a large catchment area and, you know, simple little me didn't realise, you know, how big WA was. You know, it's it's a, it's a huge, huge state and you'd have people coming in that had 160 kilometre motor vehicle accidents up north you know that were airlifted in and and uh, in bad way and and the i think the intensity of the trauma that we saw over in wa was was more than i've seen anywhere else definitely um 
Yeah. So I think it was it was just a different experience to what I had seen in in New South Wales, in Newcastle and and Sydney. Um, you know, so it was a, a next ne- another step up. You know, and then the way that people deal with that is is you know is slightly different again. Yeah, but then once you're done here, you don't stop moving. <laughs> I uh, I would have loved to have stayed in WA and and and, and the opportunity um, to go to Brisbane popped up and my wife was pregnant at the time and as good as WA is it's a, a long way away and and, and a, when you're over there with the time zone difference it feels like you are in a different country um, so uh, we we put a request in to come back to the east coast somewhere um, because my wife was pregnant at the time and and our families are all east coast side so um there wasn't anything in new south wales at the time and nothing in newcastle and um and and brisbane uh were able to offer me a job dr benazetic and and dr martin batstone both i had spoken to them previously and were great and and they again you know were people that stuck their necks out to to offer me a job and give me an opportunity and and that's something I'll thank them for because it's Brisbane's been amazing and I've never looked back. Mm, yeah. I mean, talk to me about this time because a lot of people that go through a specialist program are talking to me about how, you know, it's intense, like the amount of hours you're putting in and then you've got the weekends just kind of catching up on all of that kind of stuff. I mean, you just mentioned your wife was pregnant at this time, like, and she had to drop everything, move with you to Perth. Like, what is like, and then, yeah, there's just so many factors. Can you talk to me about, well, you know, once you're kind of going through all this studying, everything else, how do you balance all of that at the same time? Um, yeah, look, I think medical specialty training across the board is is difficult um, and dental specialty training. You know, some, you don't always get the, the location that's ideal for you and done. Um, and it's very difficult for the colleges and, and the training centres to to take in, con- into consideration kids and things like that. You know, there's there's certain jobs. You know, for example, here in Queensland, there's a Gold Coast job, a Townsville job, uh, some Brisbane jobs. Um, but there's always someone that's got to go to Townsville or or the Gold Coast. Otherwise, you you're leaving those centres uh, understaffed. And so um, it's hard, you know, you, you, you move around. I think you go into these programs understanding that you just have to do, you know, deal with that. You have to move, you have to be able to ready to pick up and, and go, um, whenever you, you, you get an opportunity. Um, and I think largely there's an understanding of that. I think it, it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and every year we have, um, uh, I guess issues around where to, where do we put people, you know, and try to take into consideration those other factors that pop up. Um, it's it's not easy, and and I think you know, as best as the training centres can do, they will take stuff into consideration. But it's 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 part of the training program. You know, um, uh, it's it's not easy, but it's it's when you go into it, I think you you understand that. Yeah, I guess because like there's only so many positions available each year. And right, there's and there's so many, and then there's you know more and more um, applicants every time because it becomes like a bottleneck, right? As they always say in medicine. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I guess that I guess to your point, you just got to kind of take your opportunities as they come. Um, 
how'd you i mean how was your partner taking it all like you know was it something that was discussed earlier on when you're kind of getting into it um i mean i don't know but is she a dentist doctor like kind of having that kind of health side of understanding of things or yeah so george is amazing she's um she's uh, she's a dermatologist, so she did medicine and did a specialty training in dermatology. And and luckily, or to her credit, she smashed that and got through that, you know, before we left to go to Perth, um, before we had kids. So um, she um, she did really well there. But I guess being medical and, and understanding that process, she knew that, you know, we would have to pick up and move and, and, and be nomads for a couple of years. And, and I think, you know, having someone that understands that is, is super important. You know, I think, um, and I've got huge respect for, for, you know, for the female trainees that we have that, that are pregnant mid training, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And, you know, you've got to have a kid and then you've still got to go back and study and get through training. And, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's not easy and you can't always plan it properly. I'm sure as we know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I guess I think at this point, you know, you can't you can't plan for everything, hey. So, you're at Brisbane and you're and you're working there, you're doing your time, but that you also don't stop there. You end up is that right? Uh, well, I did my fellowship. So I did, went and did a fellowship training down in Melbourne. Um, once I'd gone yeah. through, so I I uh, I failed my final year exams when I was in in final year. Um, and that was because I just I wasn't ready. You know, I was undercooked. Um, uh, I can make excuses for it, you know, but it, ultimately I, I hadn't done the study and, and hadn't spent the time um, getting myself prepped. And and you know, doing a final year specialist exam gives you a real understanding of what's involved. Until you get there, you really don't understand, and it's a huge volume of work that you have to cover and and be ready for. And, and I had under I was just undercooked, and so that was actually probably the best thing that it, that had happened to me. Um, to that point, was a, a real kick in the ass um, when I failed to say, you know, you can't just fly by the city pants. You sort of got to get stuck in and and um, and get through and do it properly. Um, and having that year to go back and review everything really made me uh, a better surgeon because I've gone over, you know, I really knew my stuff the second time around. Um, I was confident. I had so much more experience and exposure. And, um, and you know, I think it's character building. You know, you get a kick like that, you, you sort of, it, 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 it toughens you a bit. So did that, got through my fellowship training. Um, and then... Um, I had always been in surgery and, and the possibility of that. And I think largely um, uh, we we haven't treated since with TMJ probably as, as well as we, we potentially could. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I've, you know there's a saying, if you want to do, find the best person in the world that does it, you go and learn off them and um and that's what you know i did so i went down to melbourne and and um and hung off the shoulder of uh of dr george dimitrulis down there so um and you know that was largely just doing tmj uh, i worked with dr patricia Boardbar uh and uh dr ricky kumar doing a lot of orthognathic surgery they do a lot of orthognathic and implant surgery so and they're uh 
they are extremely good at what they do. So hanging around those guys um, and just functioning at a, at a, at a different level was, was great. Mm. I mean, did you say so you're saying you actively sought after them? Is that what happened? Is um... Yeah, so for George, well, I mean, George had an established fellowship, which was, was great. So, um, but, you know, I had that, I had that pegged from a, a, a while, you know, from a couple of years previous to when I was ready to apply. I knew that he had established that fellowship probably two years before I was ready to apply. So, um, you know, that was something I, I was really keen on. So um, that was a bit harder to talk my wife into, that's for sure, because we were just getting into our second uh, we'd just had our second child and we were then having – and we had no money and uh, and we had to move to Melbourne uh, in the middle of winter uh, and uh, and survive. So that was that was interesting. <laughs> interesting chat with my wife that one was. But, um, but you know, again, she – amazing. She packed up and came to Melbourne and we, we had a great time. And, um, and that period of time, that fellowship was probably where I surgically learned, you know, the most you know when you've you've done everything and you know you know the most you're going to probably know um from a theory point of view um just consolidating your surgical skills and having that time to do that in that period was just um was just awesome mm, yeah um can, can you can you talk to me about that experience like when you were there, like like you said, you've got all this theory, and then you've got someone who's going to help guide you through the the process of it. Um, how intense was it? Um, what was kind of happening? Was it kind of like he would be there by your side, kind of going through it, or is it like you would have to the case present it to him, or is it um, kind of you're just on your own and you just kind of have to. Uh, figure it out, and then you can lean on him for more guidance. No, it's um, it's a, it's um, an intensive process. You know, I think um, uh, it's uh, day one. Turn up. You know, I had met George previously, but turn up, um, and you know, there's a couple of cases to do. He's like. All right, I'm going to do the first one and then you do the next one and I'm going to do it with you and you're straight into it and you're just doing surgeries, you know, these types of high-end surgeries that, that you know, um, uh, you just haven't had exposure to previously repeatedly, one after the other, multiple times a week, you know, and you're really just getting, honing your specific skills on this stuff, um, you know, and at this stage you go from being a, a junior burger registrar to, to being a colleague and and it's more of a a colleague teaching situation um rather than a a, a consultant registrar uh, relationship which was great you know i think you you um are given the opportunity to show what you can do but at the same time you're getting really led through the processes and and same with uh, dr Boardbar and, and dr kumar you know it's sort of Gradually, you know, they would let you do more and more, and and show you how they do it and, and what are their techniques and and the the um, uh, generosity of these guys is amazing. You know, they they are not holding back on on teaching you stuff. It's sort of this is, you know, they've done the hard yards and they've you know got to a point where they are super good at what they do, um, and they're happy to share that that skill set with you and show you how they do it and. That was, I was always blown away with that. You know, the generosity was amazing. Um, 
but it, it's something that you know I can then take those skills and go back to where I come from and, and use those skills and and um, you know I'm very thankful to those people for, for that opportunity. I think it was a intense um, but really rewarding experience and very immersive. You know, you're in it all the time uh, and um, you're there. But it's a great, a great opportunity because they're taking all the responsibility. You're there as as a as a an additional, you know, hand, I guess, really, um, uh, helping and 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 being involved as much as you can. Um, but the responsibility, the stress, really falls on those guys. Um, so you've got an opportunity to really just get in and, and hone your skills and be get as good as you can at what you're doing um, without necessarily having the responsibility and the stress that all comes pretty solidly once you get back and start practice yeah so once this finishes this is when you decide you're going to move back and settle down in brisbane is that right yeah well we um we our options were to go to newcastle uh where our family is or go to brisbane really <clears throat> No one can afford to live in Sydney at the moment, so it wasn't going to go to Sydney. Um, uh, yes. And and without a doubt, Brisbane was, from a professional perspective, um, yeah, the opportunities that were there, uh, the people that I was able to work with. And one of the things I really love about Queensland, Max Facts, is the camaraderie is very good. You know, there's a really good feel amongst the consultants up here and the registrars, but the group is, is very tight uh everyone does their best and gets in and, and really contributes and and it's um and gets on and i think you know it, that makes your working life that much better you know uh, if you can share your experiences and, and and the intensity of the work that we do do with your colleagues it makes your life that much better yeah can I ask, like, you know, for some people that are thinking about specializing and going this down this path of OFMFS, is that, you know, when you talk about those times when, you know, you didn't get the first round offer or, like, you get knocked back, like, what can you say to them if they're either going through it or planning to go through it or something to expect? Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, if you get knocked back after the first round, you're probably, like, devastated or... I don't know, you're thinking about how do you plan for the next year, like what happens and all of that. Yeah, it's it's difficult, but it's 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 such a, uh, a life enriching process, I guess, in a way, because you you really become quite introspective. You know, I think all of us have gone through dentistry or medicine or whatever you've done and have been reasonably successful at getting to that point. You know, I think I failed year nine geography at one stage because I got northeast, south, west around the wrong way. That was the only exam that I'd failed up until that point, you know, and, and that's probably the the largely the the story with, with most of us is that no one has really faced academic adversity. I'm sure there's, there's lots of stories of adversity otherwise, but academic adversity, when you get to through high school, you do pretty well. You get to a point where you get to uni and you, you sort of, off your way through uni, or well, I did anyway. Um, you know, I think all of a sudden you, you're hit with a situation where you you think, oh, bloody hell, I'm not as good as I think I am. Um, and you've got to really have a good look at yourself. And, and and it's 
it's it's a really good opportunity to go, what am I doing that's stopping me from getting to this next stage and and what can I do to to get there? You know, I think that that ability to look at yourself and be objective about the way that you you are doing things is a really uh, positive thing that I took out of it anyway. Um, I think mm-hmm. that um, uh, having a plan is really important. Having a plan B is really important. You know, I think you have to think about where you're going and where you want to be, but how can you get there? And what is potentially an alternate route? Um, how do you diversify your skill set to say, okay, this is where I want to get to, but potentially, you know, I might need to take a different route. And and if that different route doesn't lead to that point, am I going to be able to use that skill set to to go into something that I'll be happy with? You know, I think sitting down and saying, um, you know, you're not always going to get your plan A. <laughs> it's really important. Um, and, and you know, that was part of, of my thought process when I initially uh, was getting, you know, some experience in plastic surgery and general surgery and things like that. And, you know, you, you sort of have those opportunities there. Um, it's always nice for people to say, you know, I was always going to be a max fact surgeon. I was always dedicated to it. That was the only thing I ever thought about and dreamt about and went to sleep thinking about taking out wisdom teeth. And But the reality is that, that there's a lot of duly qualified people out there that don't end up doing max facts for a whole heap of different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, uh, the hits that you get will make you better. It's just about how you respond to those hits. Um, and I think it, it's really um, to be able to be, um, to be able to be really objective in your self-evaluation is really important from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought you were using footy analogies for a second, the amount of hits that you take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've had a few a few decent hits in footy, but uh, not as many as I've had in Max Facts, I don't think so. <laughs> so some of the listeners would probably think, you know, you had things good. You know, your father already owned a dental practice. Why not just continue as a gym? as a GP and just take over the business or, but you know, yeah. Talk to me about practice ownership and all of that. Yeah. It, it, um, it's a really good question. And I've been asked it many times, you know, why, why would I um, leave that opportunity? Um, I think uh, at the time uh, my, my thinking was probably more selfish in a way in the sense that I wanted to do more in terms of, study for myself you know and that was a a partially a selfish thought from that point of view but um uh, also i think there was a part of me that wasn't um as dedicated to the business aspect of of running a dental practice um you know i remember dad coming home and telling me that you know at least 40 percent of his time was was dealing with staffing issues and and business problems rather than being a clinic a clinician um, and and that didn't appeal to me, really. You know, I, I'm not a I'm not a born businessman, um, and I think that um, part of of me going back into to specialist training was that, I mean, in a way, you're kicking the can down the road a bit. You know, you're still going to have to run a small business at some stage, but um, but it, 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 that wasn't something that really appealed to me at that point in time. 
Um, uh, I think uh, Dad had a really good crew where he was working. You know, he was he was um, he didn't need me. Although I think he he was obviously pretty um, disappointed when I when I um, well, not disappointed, but I think he would have loved to have had me. You know, in the practice to to go forward. You know, um, and I would have loved to have stayed there. It was a, a great opportunity. But again, I was 23. You know, I was young. Yeah, the experiences I've had since then have been amazing and, and shaped the person I am now. So um, I wouldn't, wouldn't take any of it back. Um, so it's funny, in retrospect, I think it's actually worked out well. You know, uh, from a business perspective, it, it's probably a bit cleaner for dad because he can, you know, on sell that practice, doesn't have to worry about, you know, how it works with me and my brothers and sisters and how that, that you know, all works out. And because, you know, that can always be an interesting little process. Um, uh, but at the time, it was probably a, a more of a, a selfish thing to say, I'm not ready for this. You know, I want to go and do more study. And that was probably my, my thought yeah. process at the time. So, to your point, you know, not great at business, didn't want to kick the can down the road, and then you end up being an oral surgeon, you have to open up your own practice. And you decided to pick up an MBA? Yeah, well, the MBA was a pretty a bit of a weird one. I, <clears throat> I actually applied for the MBA when I was doing an ICU term back in Newcastle. That was in 2013, I think it was. And I was doing night shift in ICU and I'd just passed my primaries exam for MaxFax and I thought, ah, God, I don't have anything to do for the next four years. I might as well do something. Um, and I th- thought, well, I should probably do something that's um, more business orientated because I'm not a businessman. And, um, and, and I started looking at, at courses, um, and this Sydney Uni MBA was starting. So it was the it was the very first year of the Sydney Uni MBA at that point in time. And um, I put a put an application in. It was probably like two a.m. in the morning, and um, and uh, watching three patients trying not to die in ICU, and um, and. Then I got an interview uh, and went to the interview and then got offered a, a position in, in the MBA. And the MBA was another, you know, pretty amazing opportunity, really. Um, Sydney Uni is obviously my alma mater and I, I was very keen to do it there. Um, and and it was a really good program, intensive and and not, um, not so much, you know, um, how to read a, a financial statement although that was did come up as part of it but a lot of it was uh dealing with a whole bunch of people that we don't get the opportunity to in medicine or dentistry you know in my group i think i had a, a guy who was uh, uh in counter-terrorism in in new south wales police there was uh researchers cardiac researchers there was nurses there was um a lot of consultants they call themselves but basically people in business that don't know what they're doing um next and and so they call themselves consultants that's what i found out what that means but um uh <laughs> they um uh but it was great to, to be, have exposure to those types of people and uh, I- interact with them uh and see how things are done in different worlds you know and open my eyes up to how presentations should be done properly, how, you know, things should be presented, you know, to a, to a board, um, you know, and, and how that works and, and uh, high level 
I guess, management skills, which have been, has been, I think, very good without being able to tell you specifically a, a particular skill that I've taken out of it that, that's been really good. I think it's, it's a lot of soft skills that you get that are, that build up and, and, uh, um, really, uh, give you a really solid education about the world. Um, one of the courses we did was a financial course and uh, um, a lot of it was about um, uh, analysing petrol prices for airplanes and looking at how that works. But part of that was looking at financial statements and understanding what a financial statement means and, and how that interacts with the company business model and how you, you interpret that. And and you wouldn't really get that opportunity to do that otherwise. I mean, you can do short courses and look at that sort of stuff, but the holistic way that the MBA is put together was, was really um, pretty amazing. The difficult thing was that Sydney Uni wanted me to be there in person. So I had to fly back from WA and Brisbane when I was at both of those places to do weekend courses, um, which was expensive and tiring. But um, uh, it was a great experience, you know, and I think um, that was – that was I was really glad I did that in the end, even though it made life hard yeah. for a while. Yeah. I mean, and do you think that's kind of helped in your day-to-day now um, being, you know, a practice owner? 100%. Like, I think um, it, one of the biggest uh, skills that I think I took away from the NBA was delegation. You know, as as dentists and doctors, where we probably tend to be more freaks in a way, um, we like to have our everything at the, the tip of our fingers and, and have and know exactly what's going on all the time. But um, one of the biggest skills I think you develop in, in especially in the NBA that I did was, was understanding that there's a lot of people out there with skills better than you that can do the job in half the time and, and twice as well as you can and utilizing other people's skills to, to get you uh, an efficient um, business or practice or whatever you're, you're trying to do is, is, super important so you know when i looked at at setting up the practice it was how do i do this in a way that uh is less hands-on for me you know having seen what dad went through with his practice and the way he ran his practice um uh how can i do it so i don't have to be as hands-on and so you know all our software is cloud so you don't have to have issues with servers and, and problems like that i mean that's that's uh we're lucky we're in the time we're in because you know you can get away with that and you couldn't do that 10 years ago but now we had to have that opportunity but you know that was one thing so we're a lot of our stuff is remote you know our practice manager is off-site uh, practice off-site and, and so all of these types of situations um uh come about because you can delegate well to create those opportunities um and i think helps to run a business with lower overheads generally. Um, that's the hope. It's probably, you know, I'm probably kidding myself, but that's probably, that's the that's the hope. Uh, but I definitely think that it has helped. You know, that as well as um, uh, interpersonal skills that you don't get otherwise. You know, I think um, interacting... Uh, with different people and a wider breadth of people uh, is a really important skill to have uh, across the board. You know, I think that's that's something that um, is hard to get um, and and important in dealing with the people that we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. 
So what's your current day today look like? What kind of procedures are you kind of getting up to? Well, at the moment I've got COVID. So I woke up this morning, had some Panadol and went back to bed for about an hour. So, <laughs> but, but no, from a, from a work perspective, it's uh, um, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are largely my, my private practice day. So I'll, um, uh, you know, I'll get up and uh, head in. Generally, I've got an operating list in the morning, so we start at 8 a.m. and then I consult through the afternoon, so um, seeing patients in the rooms until sort of 4 or 5 o'clock, or probably 5 o'clock, um, and then you get stuck there doing dictations and letters for, for half an hour. So when I came back from Melbourne, I was really keen to try and set up my life close so that I didn't have to move long way between between places so um my private hospitals and my practice are all within each other um so you know i'll, I'll operate in the morning and i'll bounce into my rooms at lunchtime um and and be there and, and i can be there in, in 10 minutes although i'm usually late my staff tell me i'm always late um but <laughs> i try and get there on time um uh, and so, yeah, Tuesday is generally a big operating day. I, if I do joint replacements or larger joint procedures, then I'll do those on a on a Tuesday. Um, and and again, consulting in the afternoon. I try not to do um, a full day of something. It sends me a bit spare. If I have to operate all day or consult all day, I just I don't cope very well. So I um, and you know I recognise that. So I sort of have a half day of operating, half day of consults or vice versa uh and then you know generally wednesday i'll have a, a few patients in hospital that by that stage so i'll do a ward round in the morning uh you know 7 30 uh seven o'clock and then you're, you're operating again on a wednesday morning um and then thursday is my uh, public well thursday and friday are basically my public day so on the thursday i work at the marta public hospital so we'll consult in the morning and operate in the afternoon usually and that's the public hospital stuff is great because you get a, a wider variety of, you know, of presentations, you get a bit of trauma, you get a bit of, you know, weirdness that pops up every now and then. Um, and then on a Friday morning um, is uh, a bit of a mixed bag in the morning. So I'll often do some uh, teaching registrars once a month. Um, you know, it, it's a, often a morning for me to catch up on letters or, or, other stuff that's hanging around uh, and in the afternoon i work at the queensland children's hospital so i'll do an operating list or a consult we do a multidisciplinary clinic there once a week and uh and then generally we scoot to the pub on a friday afternoon for a quick beer before i go home and and uh make chaos with the kids <laughs> so would you say this is your ideal clinical week or are you hoping that it might be a little bit different in five years time and if so how do you want to get there I'd like to probably have another half a week. I think, um, yeah, I have potentially uh, I'm looking at a Wednesday afternoon off. I think just having uh, that little break just to catch up on paperwork and, and stuff, I think I really overdid it last year and the year before. I think I, by, I got you know, reasonably burnt out by uh, the end of the year and partially that was um, – probably a bit of COVID because we just didn't plan holidays or go away. So I just worked all the way through and didn't really have time off, you know. And, and so it was partly that, probably partly um, that I overdid it a bit. So I think, um, uh, yeah, the plan is to, to 
and we have put that in place, you know, to have Wednesday afternoons semi blocked off for me to, to catch up on paperwork and because that stuff gets away on you, your letters get away on you, your, your surgical planning gets away on you and you, you end up sitting up doing it at 10 o'clock at night when you really, you know, shouldn't be. Um, so, you know, that's another thing that I'm really trying not to do is, is sit up at night doing work. You know, I've often in last year I was doing a lot, was sitting up till 11 or midnight typing letters, catching up on emails, doing stuff. You know, I think that um, it, it makes you tired for the next day you're probably not putting in your best work when you're doing it um and it's it's not a a long-term viable sustainable way to to do those things so i think you have to create time in your week to do it which comes at the cost of you you know earning money but at the same time that's you know something you you have to do because it's at the uh the cost of your sanity really in the long term so um and i'm a big big not working after having done a lot of weekends going through my training i'm a big uh i refuse to work on weekends so (laughs) i think um uh that's a big big motivator for me to to have some have everything sorted by friday 4 30 p.m when the pub pub time comes around (laughs) so you know you own your own patents on particular medical devices how did that come about and was that because there was some influence from some of your mentors who I think is a Dr. George who um, also seems to have invented other medical devices. Yeah, George is, George is a real, uh, very much, well, he's, he's uh, far more of an entrepreneur than I am. He's, he's um, gotten a long way down the road with a lot of his devices and, and has done very well with that. Um, for me, um, it was uh, all came about while I was in medical school. I was trying to work out how I could develop a passive income uh, how I could develop a secondary stream of income. Um, and so I was looking at other ways that I could potentially do that. So, yeah, I, I looked at this uh, post-operative uh, ice pack device that I sort of had developed and, and um, had it patented and, uh, and had it developed in China and, um, or manufactured in China. And, um, and sent out. And, and that was a really fun experience. It was a really um, uh, expensive experience. I think I wasted a lot of money while doing it, but it was something that is, you know, that I've learned from. And um, uh, it had, it slowed up a lot while I was going through training and, and obviously getting through my exams. And, um, and it's at a stage now where I'm ready to pick that up again. Um, and, you know, I'm, um, uh, I think I learned a lot from that first go at setting up a, you know, a potential business and going through that process. I definitely wasn't efficient and I definitely wasn't um, uh, good at, uh, at, from an organisational perspective, at getting things going uh, from, a, from that business perspective. But I think now um, I've had that, that opportunity and I think I'm uh, ready to, to launch back into it. Um, you know, just um, I, I think the biggest thing that you, you find is if you're going to do something like that, you've got to commit a lot of time to it. You can't uh, just do it as a side uh, job, you know, say you're doing a Mac, being a max fact surgeon. You can't just do it as, as something that you do between 9 and 11 at night. It just doesn't work. You know, you really have to dedicate a solid amount of time to getting that going. So it, it is effectively, you have to look at it as a, a second job. And I think that's the biggest thing that I learned was that I was, 
doing it on the side, you know, not committing the right time to it, wasting money because of that. And, and it was an inefficient process. Um, if I had my time again, you would, you know, commit two full days a week to it and get it going and, and, and just smash it out. Um, and, and I think you'd have a far higher chance of success at doing that. Um, but obviously that's a daunting thing to do because, you know, you need an income, you need money coming in uh, to pay for the things that you want to do and, uh, and, and invest in. And, and that's not an easy, uh, easy decision to make. So um, it's, it was a good experience. I think I'll do it a lot better the second time around if I get the opportunity to, and I'm uh, hopefully, uh, you know, excited to do that. But uh, it was a, it was fun. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pick that up whilst you're doing everything that's going on right now, you're going to be sleeping till like two a.m. in the morning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Yeah, find time. That's the key. I don't know where that. I don't know where you can find time. Maybe I'll have to work Sundays. <laughs> so, just to wrap it all up, if you could share any words of wisdom to your younger self, what would it be? Uh, back yourself. Um, take the opportunities when they come, and don't be uh, don't be rattled by having uh, setbacks. You know, don't take it personally when you have setbacks. I think um, uh, it's character building and it's it's important to have those times to really look at yourself and, and do a self-audit and work out how, how do you take the next step forward. Um, you know, I think that's uh, really important from a professional point of view um, is how to objectively look at yourself while you're doing what you're doing. And that that's an ongoing thing. Um, uh, keep having fun definitely <laughs> well Dr. Michael Burgess thank you for coming on the show today if you could let the people know how they can find you or what you've got going on in your life uh, thanks for having me I think um, you know this is a, a really great platform uh, as we were talking earlier about you know the great job that you're doing putting this on. And I think it's, um, you've got a great selection of people that you've, you've had previously. And, and I think you're doing a really great, um, a great thing, putting this together and getting this out to, to people. It's a uh, credit to you that you've uh, put so much effort into it. So thank you for having me. Um, yeah. I'm in Brisbane. Google me. <laughs> thank you. So for our viewers, if you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part, but don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode of CPD Junkie Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CPD Junkie Podcast.